0: Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, quick announcement first, Uh, we have a baptism immediately following service today, so we'll do our quick-go-change-o-strange kind of thing that we do there, because the baptistry is over here, so if you're in the back, you might want to move up so you can see the baptism. Uh, little Owen Lewis is being baptized today, and so we're excited to share in that with him and his family. Um, and so uh, we're going to do that immediately following the service, okay? Uh, so stick around for that, please. Today we are continuing our uh, look at the first part of the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, Uh, find about two-thirds of the way through, and you'll find the book of Matthew. It's the book that begins the New Testament, the New Covenant, and uh, fourth chapter. And the last few weeks, we've been looking at uh, Jesus, because that's what the Gospels are about. The Gospels are the story of Jesus Christ, His life on earth, um, and the Gospels, all of them, function kind of the same way where they highlight stories about Jesus, uh, typically focusing kind of early on with his birth. There's one story when he was kind of a middle schooler, uh, and then they jump to about 30. Um, so we have very little about Jesus' life from zero to 30. Um, and then we get this, these stories that focus on about a three-year time frame. Uh, the ministry of Jesus, and then the Gospels all slow down. So they scrunch about 33 years into the first several chapters, and then they all slow down with what's called Passion Week, Holy Week, and the events there about Jesus' last week on earth, and then his death and crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, They all slow down and take their time in describing that. Thus, they're putting the emphasis, obviously, on those events in Jesus' life. Probably different than many of us. We tend to emphasize uh, years zero through 30. Um, (laughs) At least our culture does, right? Um, And then after that, we kind of start going, well, my knee gave out, my hip gave out, my brain started going. I mean, everything started going downhill after that. Uh, uh, But uh, anyways, obviously, uh, we aren't uh, Jesus. It's going to become clearer After today's message. Uh, Have you ever been tempted? Have you been tempted not to say you've been tempted? You know, I I was in uh, Isaac Newton Middle School. I was struggling in mathematics. I know that's a surprise to many of you. And I was not cheating. However... We are having a test, and I was leaning across the aisle with my test in my hand, talking to the person next to me. I was not cheating. I will go to my grave, affirming that. This was back when tests were not printed out on computers. We had one of the, what were those things, a mimeograph machine, and this test had been uh, copied a bazillion times because the teacher was 75 years old. And this test had been given for over 45 years, probably. I'm exaggerating, but you couldn't read it. You couldn't read the test. And me, being a clueless middle schooler, leaned across the aisle with my test in hand towards the back of the room. And I'm sure from the teacher's perspective, it looked like Coop's cheating. Notice I didn't say again, (laughs) because this was the first time. And I wasn't cheating. I was trying to read the test. However, teachers don't typically believe middle schoolers who are leaning across the aisle discussing a test in their hand. She called out, Mr. Winecoop, yeah? Come here, bring your test. I walked to the front of the class. Um, By the way, in sixth grade, I was voted best blusher uh, in my elementary school. My face turned beet red. I'm walking to the front of the class. I hand the teacher my test. She demands my test. Were you cheating? No, I wasn't cheating. Well, it sure looked like you were cheating. You're going to fail. You cannot finish this test. I'm giving you a zero. I was tempted at that moment to hurt my teacher, to mean things to her, but I was, I was saved at the time so I couldn't. I prayed about it. I was frustrated. I, there was no recourse. That was a time when I was caught for something I wasn't doing. And I think I was being caught for all the other times that I did do something and wasn't caught. There's a thing that some people believe in. It's called karma. I happen to not believe in it. Uh, the scriptures don't teach Karma. In fact, if karma exists, we are way out of luck because we all are getting far more than we deserve. And, uh, but I tend to think that it was an example for me from God of, hey, even how it appears can look evil. And I took that to heart at that age. And I've often said that I'm paid to be good where you guys are paid, or you're good for nothing right? I'm paid to be good. You're good for nothing. And I know what that's like, because in middle school, I was good for nothing as well. And I sought to be good, and I worked hard at being good, but all those years, I was tempted. Tempted with things that, uh, had you known me, if you knew what I have done in the course of my life, you would not be here listening to me much like if I had known what you have done in the course of your life, I wouldn't be here talking to you. We all have things that we are ashamed of. We all have things that temptation got a hold of us and we gave in. We did not resist. And we went through with it, even though we knew it was wrong, even though we knew that one day we would give an account for it, even though we knew that I'd be embarrassed to share this with anyone. And temptation is something we all struggle with. It's common to our human experience. Perhaps you're tempted. You're perhaps tempted to, to cheat, to get ahead financially. Tempted to cheat customers, tempted to cheat vendors, tempted to cheat the government. To stay ahead financially. Financially. Perhaps your tempted sexual sins tempt you, especially when you're on a business trip or while you're at home alone on the internet. Perhaps you're tempted with pride to see yourself better than other people. It expresses itself in so many different ways. It can express itself in racism. It can express itself in classism. It can express itself in all sorts of arenas political ideologies, intelligence. Perhaps you are prone to pride. I don't know what you struggle with. But I guarantee you this, I know you struggle. I know you struggle. Now, why would I be so confident in saying that? Because what we're going to look at today is a story where Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted Matthew chapter 4. It's right after his baptism, right after he's affirmed as the Son of God, right after he comes up out of the water and the heavens open, the Word of God says, this is my beloved Son. With Him I am well pleased. The dove comes down on Him. It's like a coronation moment of the King is here. And then you read verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil it's very interesting there's three different characters in this one sentence who did who led jesus into this into the wilderness the spirit he was led into the wilderness by the spirit for what purpose to be tempted by the devil Now it's interesting because I think there's something that we can learn from this. And we're going to take Jesus' experience of temptation. What we're going to do is we're going to see that it affirms his identity. It affirms who he is. Where we just heard, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This next story is going to affirm that. It's going to say, yes, it's true of this guy. But it's also going to show us victory over temptation. And so in that way, Jesus is going to serve as an example for us. How to respond when we are tempted. And so we see here in this first bit that Jesus is taken out to the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Now, I want to back up before I get into that real quick. Because one thing that Hebrews teaches us is that we have a high priest. We have Jesus who, has, who is sympathetic to to our weakness, who is sympathetic to our temptations because he himself has been tempted in every way common to humanity. But he was without sin. He has been tempted in every way that is common to us, yet he was, is without sin. And I would suggest to you that the person who resists temptation actually feels the weight of it more. The person who resists temptation actually feels the weight of it more. Uh, picture, if you will, like uh, it's the Olympics, right? Uh, this is summer Olympics that I'm thinking of. But uh, those guys who do the, the power lifting, and they've got, you know, like a small village on each side of the bar. <clears throat> and they're just enormous individuals. And they come and they, they yank this thing up. And let's say they're trying to, I don't even know what they lift, but let's say it's 500 pounds. And the one who lifts it and just gets it to the knees and then drops it? He doesn't feel the weight as much as the guy who gets it to the knees, to the waist, to the chest, above the head, does he? It's the one who completes it. It's the one who gets her done that feels the weight most. And I think that's what resistance of sin is like. Jesus resisted temptation and he felt the weight of it the most now from this first part of this story one thing that we can take away from this is that temptation Jesus temptation was God ordained but it was not caused by God those words by are very important he was led by the spirit to be tempted by the devil it's very important that you see that His temptation, or another way to render this in the Greek, is test. You might have a little footnote next to the word tempted in your Bible, and it takes you to the bottom, and it says you could also translate it test. And both of these work here. Jesus is being tested. The Holy Spirit is testing him. The Father is testing him through these temptations. And it is God-ordained, but it is not caused by God. Now, this is important for us because James tells us that no one, when they are being tempted, should say, God is tempting me. None of us have ever been tempted by God. We've been tempted by the devil. We've been tempted by our own sinful desires. We've been tempted by those things. But we've never, none of us have ever been tempted by God. It's very important for us to keep that in mind. Jesus... Goes out into the wilderness right after his baptism, and he is tested. I think another thing we can gather from this is baptism into Christ does not mean health and wealth and a shallow happiness. Immediately following Jesus' baptism, the one who God says, this is my son, in him I am well pleased. This is my son, whom I love. Immediately after, he leads him out into a test. Have you ever felt like that with your Christian walk? You ever felt like that with you're trying to follow Jesus? You just were baptized or you just got back from uh, the retreat or you just were involved with something that was exciting and you you feel like you're just really starting to get this Jesus thing, this discipleship thing, this reading the scriptures thing, this prayer thing figured out, and then you just get smacked. Life hits you. Bad news hits you. Temptation hits you. Something happens. It's proof. It's evidence. It's evidence that you are following Christ. Baptism into Christ means self-denial. It means suffering. It means trials. It means temptations. That's what it means. And we can either give in to those or we can use our temptations for the purposes for which God has ordained them to make us stronger and purer. Anybody been watching the Olympics? I mean, these folks, they have dedicated their lives for this little two-week window of athletic competition. And you watch folks, last night I was watching this short track speed skating thing, and there were two South Korean skaters and they were favored to win this particular length. And they were both knocked to the ice by some guy from Hungary. He was disqualified, but it didn't matter because he knocked these two guys out. And there was a kid from the US and a guy from Canada, the Canadian one, and the kid from the US who just came out of nowhere got the silver. And I kept thinking, which of those people do I often feel like? I often feel like the Korean guy who got knocked down by the dude from Hungary, right? I train, I train, I train, I try, I try, I try, try, and then circumstance happens. Something occurs, and my window to succeed, my window for victory comes and goes. And what do we say? Well, all things work together for those who love Christ. Now, at that moment, I might throw a skate at you if you were to say that to me. But but it is true. It is true. It takes faith to believe that in that moment. But it is true that God has an ordained purpose for these tests, for these temptations, for these trials. And the point is to make me stronger and to make me purer. The point of your temptations and your tests is to make you stronger and to make you purer. You do not refine gold by tossing it on top of marshmallows. Many of us wish that was true because we would much rather just be tossed on top of pillows, a nice down comforter, a bean bag, instead of taken through the fire and refined. If we keep reading, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, <laughs> I love this part. He was hungry. Uh, really? You know, nowadays we'd probably say he was hangry, right? (laughs) Like those Snicker commercials. You ever seen those Snickers commercials? And the, 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 the line is, you're just not yourself when you're hungry. This is part of the temptation. This is part of the trial. You're just not yourself when you're hungry. You're just not yourself when you're weak. When your flesh is weak and your needs have not been met, you are weak. And Jesus Christ was fully man. He was fully man. He was fully human. Going without food for 40 days and 40 nights, he would be hungry too. Ravenously hungry. And this is when the temptation comes. When his flesh is the most weak. And I think this is something we can take away from this too. That our temptations often come when our flesh is the most weak. When you're tired. When you're away from everyone. When you're in solitude. When you're up late at night. When you are by yourself. When you're with that particular group of people. When you think you deserve it. When things aren't going your way. This is where we find ourselves. Now listen to this comparison by James Montgomery Boyce. I think this is brilliant. Listen to what he says. Adam and Eve were in paradise. Jesus was in the vast desolate wilderness of Judah. Adam and Eve were physically content and satisfied. They were free to eat from any of the trees of the garden, save the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus was hungry, having fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Adam and Eve were together. They had each other for company and mutual support. Jesus was alone. Yet Adam and Eve rapidly succumbed to Satan's wiles, carrying the entire human race into sin, misery, destruction, and both physical and spiritual death. While Jesus stood firm as the savior who is to bring life and salvation to the race. Wow. I mean, his flesh was so weak, but look how strong he was. It's amazing. And it's an example for us. There are no good excuses for our sin. Well, you know, I deserved it. Or, well, you know how I've been treated lately, God. Or you know how she's been lately. Or you know how he's been lately. Or you know what's been on my plate. I just can't. I deserve. There are no excuses. All excuses we give for our sin sound like this to God. The dog ate my homework because he can point to his son and say he went without food for 40 days and 40 nights and did you see what the first did you see what the first temptation was <laughs> the tempter came to him and said if you are the son of god tell these stones to become bread he's, he's getting at who he is and he's getting at his hangriness his hunger right <laughs> you really are the son of god prove it I mean, it's kind of like, how big a boy are you, right? It's fascinating to me. He goes in for like a a prideful punch. He, He kind of is saying, if you're really the son of God, why are you out here starving? What a waste. What a waste of who you are. What a waste of your ability. What a waste of the son of God languishing in hunger for 40 days and 40 nights. If you're really the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It's fascinating. He doesn't tempt him with anything bad, per se, does he? What's the sin in that? If I could turn bread or stone into pizza, I think I'd do it. What's wrong with this? It's not like he says, Hey, Jesus, lust. Hey, Jesus, be greedy. Hey, Jesus. He says, Take care of your needs. You're hungry. This is how the tempter comes to us. He says to us at our point of weakness, Take care of your needs, look out for yourself. No one else is here to take care of you. No one else is here to help you. You have to do it yourself. You have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Those who... God helps those who help themselves. Huh. Jesus answered, It is written, Men shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. (laughs) In other words, you're not God. And if God told me to take these stones and make them bread, I'd do it. But since you're not God, I'm not listening to you. I live by the words of God. And Jesus was tempted at this point of weakness. And we see that in this point of weakness, he is able to accomplish what Adam and Eve could not accomplish. Now, it's interesting too, if we keep reading here, but yet it's universal. His temptation is very unique. I have yet to ever have this experience where Satan whisks me away to the highest point in the country and says, throw yourself down. God will catch you. He probably realizes I'm afraid of heights and I'd not listen to him. It's not a temptation at all for me. But I've never been tempted this way. And honestly, this is a unique temptation to the Son of God. Because the scripture that Satan quotes, and it is scripture. It's like he realizes what Jesus does. Jesus quotes some scripture at him. Man will not live on bread alone, but by the word of God. And so Satan ups his aunt. He's like, all right, I'm going to quote some scripture back at you. He quotes some scripture back at him. And it concerns the Messiah. It concerns God's loved one. And he says, if you're really the son of God, throw yourself down. God will catch you. God will take care of you. He he doesn't want you to be harmed. This is very unique to Jesus, this kind of temptation. What he's being tempted here to do is to rely on his divine sonship to the neglect of his servanthood. He is both The son of God in the flesh, but he is also the suffering servant that we see in Isaiah. He is both. And here he is tempted by Satan to say yes to one and neglect the other. All of these temptations have to do with Jesus' suffering to grab the crown without the cross. And aren't we all tempted this way too? Aren't we all tempted to grab the crown without the cross? Aren't we all tempted to think that the physical is more important than the spiritual? Aren't we all tempted as Jesus was and as Adam and Eve were? We are tempted with the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, according to 1 John. This is nothing new. Satan wants to tempt us. With the beanbag, the comforter, he wants to spare us our suffering. He wants to take care of us as we try to take care of ourselves. Oh, you can just hear the hiss of the serpent in our culture today, can't you? You can just hear him wooing us. Ah, oh, you deserve a break today. Oh. If You don't take care of yourself. Who will? You got to look out for number one. These are the same temptations. And then we continue to see Jesus. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There's times I've read this and I'm like, what's exactly the temptation here? Because he knows he's God and he knows he's the only one worthy of worship. How is he even being tempted here? But I believe that every single one of these temptations is a very real temptation. Temptation. That Satan knows Christ at his weakest. That he knows these are true temptations. And Satan knows you're here to take this from me. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. You're here to take this. This is yours. You want it back? Here you go. Just, Just do this one thing for me. Just one thing. Now, I often wonder, I mean, if it was me, wouldn't I do like a pinky swear? Wouldn't I do like a a, a fingers crossed behind the back? Yeah, I'll bow down to you, but I didn't really mean it. (laughs) Haha, took it from you. Now I win. Right? I mean, don't we try to find ways to, to circumvent? Don't we try to find ways to get what we want without going through the suffering, the trial, the pain? I mean, we're good Americans. We don't do suffering and trial and pain well. I mean, that's why ibuprofen sells so well. That's why we have full-fledged discussions about euthanasia and whether we should relieve people of their suffering at the end of their lives. That they should be able to die with dignity. That they should be able to determine when they want to die. And we should assist them in that. These are all these temptations that we don't want to suffer. We don't want trial. We don't want pain. It's the exact same temptation Jesus received. Now a couple things I want to point out here. Satan quotes scripture at Jesus and did you it's so funny to me. Jerome, who was uh, one of the church fathers, he wrote a commentary on the book of Matthew. And Jerome says this, the devil interprets the scriptures badly. (laughs) I love that line. The devil interprets the scriptures badly. Jerome knew that not every interpretation of Scripture is equal. Not every interpretation of Scriptures is correct. And we have a perfect example here of Satan bending Scripture to fit what he wants it to say. Man, talk about tempted on that front for us. We're tempted to bend the scriptures and make them say what we want to say because a lot of the things the scriptures say are unpopular and they hurt us and they're difficult and we don't like them. Got into a discussion recently. Well, it was, I only said one thing on, with somebody on Facebook and my comment was there's a lot of things that I would like not in the Bible There's a lot of things about theology that I just like not to be true. The first one being, I wish that there was no God. Now, why would I say that? Because whenever I sin, whenever I want to do what I want to do, that's basically what I'm saying. I don't believe there's a God, so I'm going to take care of my needs. I don't believe there's a God, so I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't believe there's a God, so I'm going to look out for number one. And Jesus here says, that's not how I'm going to function. You see, each time he resists these temptations with the word of God. And when you go to Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gives us these metaphors about the armor of God, right? And it's easy to kind of think, oh, he's wielding the sword, the word of the sword of the word, right? That Jesus is... But I think... Jerome is on to something where he says that Jesus breaks the false arrows of the devil drawn from the scriptures upon the true shields of the scriptures. I like that imagery of a shield because I think what Jesus is doing here is it's not so much on the offensive. It's more on the defensive and it's more of a shield. And he's got his shield and he's using the shield to extinguish the flaming arrows of the devil. And in Ephesians 2, 6 verse 16 it tells us that the shield is the shield of faith and jesus is quoting scripture back at satan but i think what he's really doing is he's exercising faith that his father has got his back that his father's promises are sure that what his father has said will be done will be done And he doesn't need to take a shortcut. And he doesn't need to look out for himself. And he doesn't need to do these things to get her done. What great faith Christ shows here. Finally, Jesus said, away from me, Satan. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. I think this is my favorite thing we can learn, one of them. Temptations are certainly tough, but they're always temporary. Temptations are tough, but they're temporary. Uh, Recently, I've been uh, reacquainting myself with the discipline of fasting. And I like to fast during the season of Lent. And it always reminds me that I don't need as much as I think I do. And I think that's one of the points... Of fasting to remind us that we don't live by bread alone, but by the words of God. It reminds us that this life is tough, but it's temporary. Whenever I get hungry when I'm fasting, you know what I have to do? Wait a few hours. Last night I was watching the Olympics, I was fasting. Uh, McDonald's kept having amazing commercials for the Big Mac. And I'm like, hey, part of God's provision for me is there's no McDonald's nearby. So if I was in Burlington, it'd be far more difficult temptation. Because I'm sitting there going, I'm not going to waste two hours to go get a Big Mac today, maybe tomorrow, but not today, not now. And it's interesting because I started, you know, the, the Pavlovian experience happened where my mouth started watering. So I was, Some of you are experiencing it now. The Big Mac, they got this Mac Jr. thing. Like, wow, that's amazing. Then like Applebee's has this quesadilla burger. Did you see that one? Like, I don't notice these things unless I'm fasting. But then all of a sudden, every commercial is about food. And I sat there and I thought, this will never pass. When will this pass? I'm going to bed hungry. I will die. Right? My experience is I just have to wait. It's tough, but it's temporary. Our temptations are tough, but they're temporary. If you can just get through this, if you can just say, be gone like Jesus did or run out of the room like Joseph did with Potiphar's wife, then the devil will gain no foothold. 1 Corinthians 10.13. It tells us that God doesn't allow any of us to be tempted beyond what we can handle. He doesn't allow any of us to be tempted in a manner that is unusual, that we cannot stand under. And there is no temptation that is not common to everyone. So one of the lies that Satan likes to use is that, oh, you're the only one. You're the only one with this problem. You're the only one that stays up late at night on Saturdays looking at these things you shouldn't look at. You're the only one who's tempted to cheat on your taxes. You're the only one who is thinking about doing that. You're the only one. That's why God said, print it. That's good scripture. Because people need to know they're not alone. That they are common. And what they're experiencing is common to everyone. 1 Corinthians 10.13 also tells us that there is no temptation that is not beyond your ability to resist with our Lord's help. There is no temptation that you can't resist without Christ's help. There is nothing that is so difficult for you That without Christ's help, you can't get through. You can. That's the point. It's a test. It's to make you stronger and purer. And the third thing, there is no temptation from which God does not provide a way of escape. Every single time I've been tempted... I'm sure if I spent time going back and looking at it, which I've done several times, I can point a moment where I made the conscious choice to choose to sin. Where I threw in the towel. Where I said, "Ah, oh, this is too hard this time. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Take a look at those times in your life. Have you thrown in the towel? Or have you fought the good fight? Have you kept the faith? You see, God doesn't want the church full of wusses. He wants the church full of strong, pure people who are allegiant to Jesus Christ, who are willing to count the cost, who are willing to take up their cross. And it's not easy. It wasn't for Christ. And it won't be for us. But it can, and it will, and it must be done. Hold fast to Christ in those times of temptation in your life. Hold fast to his word in those times of temptation in your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus understands I don't think there's anything more powerful from this passage than that. Empathy is the antidote to shame. Empathy is the antidote to our sin problem. It's the beginning. And Jesus entered into our life, into our world, and he experienced temptations that are common to us. And he overcame And Lord, I know that each of us will not walk out of here perfectly following you. And thank you that when we do fail, there is grace. But I pray that there would be tears and sweat and perhaps blood as we seek to resist the evil one. May May none of us believe in a cheap grace. May none of us see grace as a doormat to wipe our feet on. May we wrestle against the evil one, against the sin nature, and let us resist in your strength. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you resist the evil one and he will flee from you. Amen.